Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Don Paul Kale, who commonly goes by DP. He is a concert saxophonist around the world, having originally grown up in Pennsylvania and is currently living in Belgium. So he's got a lot of great things to share. So I'm just going to let him tell us more about himself so we can learn all about him. So DP, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your story? Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. And it's my pleasure to be here and to talk with you and to introduce myself to everyone. And yeah, maybe they can understand themselves as well a little bit more through me. That would be like the ideal. So that would be that'd be really great. So um, yeah, uh, as you said, I'm a concert saxophonist originally based in Pennsylvania, grew up, uh, raised here in central Pennsylvania. And um, now I'm living in Belgium. So I, growing up, I was, you know, a pretty weird kid. I was doing like, my mom would take me to like all the artsy things. I was in art school. I was in, um, I took piano lessons. I took flute lessons because originally I started on flute. Um, I took singing lessons. I was going, I joined an opera choir in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for young kids. My mom was carting me around nonstop. Um, she was really, as she was and still is like my biggest support. And she, um, you know, I couldn't have done it without her, anything really. So um, it's been, it, it, thinking back on that time, you know, I, I was kind of, groomed a little bit to be in the arts and to you know thrive in this world and yeah from there I you know my high school experience was a little bit very central Pennsylvania because um or at least m more Perry County because uh I was the only real um you know, musical kid in that really took it to the upteenth degree that really wanted to go for it. I was basically that that sports guy that in school, but for music. And I really wanted to do everything, go to the district bands and go to the district choirs and do everything. Get you know, I really lived for that, you know, you know, competition culture back in high school. And it led me to really discover that I loved concert music and I, I loved band culture. I loved, you know, working on, you know, really detailed things and working with these great artists, well, conductors and, and my colleagues then as well. And I, I loved that experience. So I decided to major in music um, at the um, maybe uh, less enthusiastic um uh, what is it? Less. Uh, my family wasn't so enthusiastic. They wanted me to study uh, business or be a lawyer or something like that. You know, the typical kind of thing for <laughs> a family. Um, but I was I was set on it. My heart was set, and I went to Susquehanna because I I took lessons with Gail Levinsky um, in high school for a few years, and I loved her, and um, it just felt right, and. And Susquehanna was a right fit for me. I really grew and prospered there, and I made really long-lasting friends um, and and colleagues. 
and some of them I, you know, I still keep in touch with today. Um, yeah, and Susquehanna has been really great for me. I, I really love that network and whatnot. But during Susquehanna, you know, it, it college is always this kind of like weird transition moment for anyone. I mean, you're really coming into your own. You're kind of figuring out what it is to be an adult, but in a very like um, structured, very nurturing like way because you know with uh dr levinsky who lovingly goes by doc um you know with her she's very motherly with all of her students and you know she was very there present all the time i mean you know so <laughs> um that was um that was good for me because i needed i i mean my mom wasn't so far away but i needed that kind of familial kind of nurturing at that moment and she you know she guided you step by step and I, I I love that because I got really close attention from her all the time um, and from there you know I, I started out as a music education major wanting to you know follow in my the educators before me and whatnot but I realized that it wasn't for me that I I had something else inside me that it was more performance based there was more wanting this kind of a different lifestyle than, you know, I, I don't want to say like settling to be an educator because I think it's really hard to be an educator. And, but I, I wanted something different and I decided to, you know, forego the path that may be more lucrative than a random performance classical saxophone player would take. I mean, if I played violin, maybe it would be a little bit easier. Maybe. But um, uh, no, I, I, I forged ahead and I was, I was always very focused. And with the help from Doc and from everybody there, it, it, really, it really worked out. Um, so from there, uh, from Susquehanna, I then went to University of Florida. I studied with Jonathan Helton and uh, Jeffrey Dybel. Jeffrey Dybel mostly on new music, Jonathan Helton on standards and technique, um, and a little bit of the kind of uh, new but now old American music. Um, and that was really, really wonderful for me in a lot of ways because I made more connections and um, I met my future duo partner, Jackie Glazier. So I'm in a, uh, a duo, a professional duo with clarinet and saxophone called Duo Entre Nous. And we formed in Paris a little bit later afterwards. But I met Jackie the firstly at University of Florida. Um, at University of Florida, I, I decided to, to really focus mo most of my attention then on contemporary music and how to kind of deal with this new attitude, this new aesthetic, this new way of playing. Because in, at Susquehanna, it was mostly, okay, let's do the, the main standards, let's do, and do them really, really well, and learn technique, and learn how to play, and learn how to blow. And um, that led me to kind of realize that, okay, there is this thing, but I want to do more. I, I, I'm, I've always been searching for the, to do more, to do, to grab onto something that's really, you know, in the distance and pull myself to it um, in whatever way I could. So um, that really, that really captured me because it, it was a, a language that, that meant, that, that felt modern. It felt more towards my time instead of um, 
reinterpreting something that's been reinterpreted a million times. So from there, I, I, I started speaking with composers there and, um, and also one of my best friends from Susquehanna, uh, Tyler Austin, introduced me to the works of Molly Joyce. Um, at the time, she was studying at Juilliard in New York City. And this became one of like the, it has be grown into this really incredible um, collaboration with her. She's written a couple of pieces for me and um, her, th this first piece that she wrote for me called Do of the Moon is one of the, you know, biggest works of my repertoire and has, you know, outlasted my playing and, and whatnot. And it's, it's something that I really, really enjoy that I was able to be the commission, the first commissioner of this piece. And so this, so University of Florida was this kind of awakening moment for me that I knew that I could do it. Um, I could, I could, I, I had it in me to do contemporary music. I knew that I, I had the technique and the ability to do so, at least in the, in the U.S. Um, at the time. I knew that I could make it work. But I struggled a little bit knowing what I wanted to do because, you know, the normal path of a saxophonist in the United States is, or at least a performance major, is, you know, you do your bachelor, you go directly to your master, and you go directly to your DMA. You don't wait at all. I mean, it's really fixed. And I didn't necessarily want this. I had in the back of my mind for a really long time that I wanted to go to Paris. I wanted to... to to, you know, live a metropolitan lifestyle, a, you know, go for it, you know, you know, hold, hold nothing back. I, I guess that's like the biggest um, thing of my life is like, don't hold back, don't reserve yourself, just go for it. And um, I applied for a couple of scholarships on the behest of my teacher there, um, Jonathan Helton, and he helped me quite a lot. Um, and I was successful in, in gaining a scholarship to study for one fully paid um, year of academic study in Paris. So the next year after, my, after I graduated, I moved to Paris. And that was terrifying because my French was so not good. I mean, I thought I was okay. I, I was doing my... Um, I, it wasn't even... There wasn't even Duolingo at the time. It was Rosetta Stone at the time. And I was doing that every day. And it was, I was terrible. I mean, I, I, the first day I got there, I needed to go find food and I could not function get, ha, get with directions in French at all. It's like basics 101. I couldn't do it. Um, and so, um, it got better because, you know, in France, they only speak French and, you know, they're very determined. Like, if you speak, if you live here, please speak our language. So it got better uh, and better and better. And my teacher there, uh, Jean-Michel Goury, uh, he only spoke French to me even from our first lesson. And it was really, you know, it, it, it worked really well. But while in France, I, I was, you know, I wanted to do everything. I, I decided to... Um, focus my my studies because it was a scholarship so I had to prove what I was doing I said I'm going to um use this year to study for the uh Londex competition the Jean-Marie Londex competition it's one of two major competitions for saxophone and um at this time I I I had the very unlofty goal at the time but I thought it was very lofty I was like 
I'm just going to get past the first round. That's all I want to do. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm good enough, but I'm just going to get past the first round. Because, you know, living in Paris, you have maybe 150 to 250 professional saxophonists in just the metropolitan area. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the amount of talent in this city is insane. And that, that's overwhelming. And I had to, like, really rebuild myself from the ground up and really start from zero because any technique that I had in, in that I thought I was good at, it wasn't good enough at all. And so I had to really restart and build myself up and work on the contemporary techniques and, and really figure out how the Parisian, like, style of playing, like, could complement my American side of playing. And what was that? And how, did they fight with each other or did they, were they you know, wed really, really well. So I, I struggled for a whole year on this. And I, I, I said, look, my, my goal is to get past the first round of the competition. Well, I get past the first round and then I get past the second round and now I'm in the finals and I end up becoming a prize winner. And, um, you know, it's a, this like really humbling moment because I didn't expect it at all. I, I just played the best that I could and, and, you know, put my heart into it and it paid off. And I think that was the moment that I thought, okay, if I can do this, if I can prove to my community that I'm worthwhile, then I can prove this to everyone else, you know, that I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to struggle so much anymore. In a lot of ways, that's somewhat true, but in a lot of ways that was a bit naive as well. So after riding high off of the win from Londex, I decide to stay another year in Paris, you know, finish my studies completely um, in the program that I was doing. And um, while there, I met a Belgian and we started to um, see each other quite, quite a lot. And I was going back and forth um, to Belgium to see them. And um, I decided, okay, well, if... If I can do this, if I can make my career work here in Europe and I have a tie, direct tie, why not stay in Europe for a little bit? I mean, at least until, you know, things change or I'm over it or, you know, I want to settle into a DMA program or whatnot. So I decide to go to Belgium um, from, from Paris, which was a good move for me because Paris is huge, and as I said, there's a lot of saxophonists, there's a lot of talent there, and um, I, coming coming from, you know, little tiny Perry County, going to Susquehanna, a little bit bigger, but not that much bigger, then going to University of Florida, which was massive, but not as big as Paris, I was looking to downsize a little bit. So I live in, uh, I, I moved to the city called Ghent, Belgium, and it's about 30 minutes away on the train from Brussels, 20 minutes on the train from Bruges. Um, it's this beautiful little city, and it was exactly the right pace for me. I'm, I'm situated in a place where I can go to, to Brussels very easy. I can go to Amsterdam very easy. Uh, Paris, if I want to go back to Paris, it's super, super nice. And um, it's been a lovely city for me, and that's where I live now still. Um, so I said that I, I mentioned that I went there for love, um, but I was also, you know, working with my quartet and um, 
uh, which is called the Ensemble du Bout du Monde, or the Ensemble at the Edge of the World. And we, at the time, were comprised of four musicians from all over the world, one from Australia, Israel, United States, which was me, and one from France. And um, we... So we kind of had these four different main continents that were kind of coming together and colliding. And it was this really nice kind of feeling to say, OK, we can bridge all these cultures together. Eventually, you know, things happen to other people and they don't want to be in part of the quartet or they're moving on. So now it's actually the Israeli myself and then two Italians in the quartet. But, you know, we still have a little bit of dominion. But uh, we started to gain a lot of notoriety and our performances were being picked up by quite some famous composers. And um, we started to have a lot, a big um, season, you know, a lot of, lot of concerts and in all over Europe and things like this. And so we are, we have kind of dominated in a little bit in the young contemporary music scene um, in Europe. And that's been this kind of, um, driving moment for for me in chamber music uh, along with my my duo which is based in the US um so i uh, i will come back to that in a little bit but i uh, um i said that i came to to ghent for love well it didn't work out with the person that i moved to ghent uh, to be with but um shortly thereafter i discovered that well i didn't discover because I was a little bit, I knew inside of me, I, I, I decided that I needed to be true to myself 100%. And I came out of the closet. I, I am a gay man. I, I identify as that. And um, I was very much happier once I did so. Um, because um, it's, it's hard to talk about, but like when you are so free in your performance kind of thing and you're so open-minded and you're, you're a musician, you're an artist, and it's, it's, so, like, it's so liberating to be on stage and you, you can't hide your true self in that moment when you're performing. You can't, you can't say, look, I'm, I'm going to put on a million masks and, and not have them come off. Or, you know... You, you have to put that real person on stage or the audience is going to know they're going to be that's fake that person is not real who is that up there playing that saxophone because they don't match you know so um it was a liberating moment for me to finally be who i was and to be um happy with who i was and to just say screw it i'm going to i'm going to live my life out loud who I want to be and be with who I want to be with. And, um, yeah, so I, uh, I started to really gain a lot more, um, self-confidence in my solo playing and my, my, my solo career. And that has shot up really, really quite fast since I came out, which was in 2018. Um, shortly thereafter, but not directly after coming out, I met a a wonderful um, guy, and I am you know we are partnered in in Belgium now, and we have a really wonderful life, and so my life is based there with him and with my my ensembles throughout you know either in Switzerland with my ensemble uh, with my quartet, or in 
Arizona with my duo. And then also, uh, speaking of ensembles based in Europe, um, I have just uh, recently, during the pandemic actually, um, started a new ensemble, a reed quintet, which has given me that kind of orchestral experience that I've always kind of really clung to. You know, I, I wanted to be a little bit of an orchestra musician that could never be an orchestra musician playing saxophone. So I, um, I really love this, this ensemble because it gives me that kind of color and, and depth to the sound that I'm really, that I really, really love. So um, that, that ensemble is named Woodwork, and we are based in Belgium. Everyone is Belgian, except for me. I'm, you know, the imposter of the, the quintet. <laughs> but um, uh, we, we're doing really, really great things and some fantastic projects, and it's been, you know, kind of a lifeline through uh, the pandemic. Um, at the beginning of... Uh, so I think that, like, brings me a little bit to... Um, the present day at the moment, um, I just released my debut solo album called Go Within. Um, and that has been a really exciting project that I started at the beginning of the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, like most people, um, uh, lots of things changed very, very quickly. And it was very um, disconcerting. I mean, when you see, I think I had maybe 40 to 50 concerts in the span of one month just evaporate. And that's really disheartening and awful, especially when, I, I, I mean, I make all of my living from performing. And uh, that's, that, uh, that was really a bad time for me. I was really, I sunk very, very low. Um, and at the same time, one of my very good friends that was in my quartet, uh, the Ensemble du Bout du Monde, decided to quit, to, to leave the, the, the quartet. And I was, you know, my uh, own issues, my own problems with that, that came up in March, April, May of 2020 started to, you know, be, you know, right right there at me i mean it was in my face and then also okay now we have to rebuild our quartet from the ground up i really i i, I it was a week and a week and a half or something that i was just you know on the couch i didn't know what to do with myself i couldn't touch my horn i couldn't do anything and i that's unlike me that's that i i am this bubbly kind of person that cannot stop that doesn't stop and i said Look, Don Paul, no, we're not going to get depressed. We're not going to get in this funk for what may be. And, you know, we're not out of it yet. What may, at the time I said, what may be, you know, maybe four or five months from now, you know, we're not out of it. So, but things in Europe and in the U.S. can, I, you know, go better and better, especially in Europe <laughs> every day. So um, what I what I said to myself was like, look, you are given this time. What do you want to do with it? You have no concerts coming up or very few concerts. Um, you can't travel. You can't see your friends. You can't do anything. You have to be inside. What are you going to do? So I said, I, I, it's been a dream to do a solo record, uh, do, a, do an album. Let's do it. And so I chose all pieces that have been commissioned by me except one. Um, and I, 
I said, look, we're going to do this the, the right way. And uh, now I have time to practice all of these things and do it correctly. So that's what I did. And I released the album. I recorded everything this past summer. And I released the album um, on the 15th of September. And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of good reviews and good things from people. So that's a little bit of me. I mean, that was a very long introduction of me, but... Maybe we, you have some questions for me and we can go down those rabbit holes. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you taking us through like the chronological journey and really explaining how one thing really did lead to another and how, you know, being able to identify and, you know, embrace your true self really then translated to the rest of your life, like professionally, that things started to get so much better. Um, and then and then to the pandemic to be like, what am I going to do and, and still uh, produce great music uh, by releasing the CD? So uh, there are so many avenues we could go down, um, but I'm curious to know, you talked a little bit about when you first landed in Paris and not speaking French well at all. So what was it like outside of the language barrier in these different areas that you've lived in trying to adjust to the culture? That's a really great question, actually, and something that I tend not to focus on because we're so, like, e eager to learn the language or, you know, it's a good barrier, the language. But also there are really big cultural differences between Americans or even, you know, from where you are in, in the U.S., where you, you have grown up or what, what, you, what you know, and then to place yourself in, in Paris, Parisian culture, um, or, you know, in Ghent or in Belgium, which, you know, it's, it's somewhat, you know, the same a little bit, uh, but there are still stark differences that you can see once you, you know, kind of move past the kind of beauty of the the people and their kind of you know way of being and whatnot you do see some really stark differences so um i think like one of the biggest things that that i noticed and i think a lot of people will relate to is that um i didn't have a car anymore and i you know public transport was not like a thing for me ever <laughs> and you know trying to navigate the metro and you know be courteous and kind and whatnot i mean there's this kind of un, unspoken about rule in Paris that when you are in the metro, you do not talk, like, at all. And I love to talk all the time. So, like, I'm there, like, the first days on my phone calling my mom or my friends and whatnot because it's, like, dead time to me. It's like, okay, I have, I have a nice hour on the train. I'm just going to call people. But I quickly realized that um, people were staring at me in the like worst ways possible <laughs> and really giving me awful looks. And I was like, well, what do you, what's wrong with you? Like, I'm just talking on the phone. And I, it's not that I was screaming or anything, but you know, they just want to have their time on the Metro as sacred, you know, have their little croissant, their little, they don't really drink coffee on the thing, but you know, really, you know, just read their book or listen to their music very quietly. And that was something that I learned very quickly that oh, okay, I should really also follow them. So and in, in a lot of ways, because this was my first, you know, big abroad experience where I was living there because I had gone, you know, to France before, I had gone to Italy, I'd been in Japan before. So it was, I, I knew what to 
what to do and what to expect, but you know, these subtle nuances what, that you do every day, I started to just say, I'm going to look at what other people are doing and kind of follow their example. Whereas like, that's not my thing. Like usually I am like, I am going to uh, march to the beat of my own drum and everybody else can, can, I don't know if I can say this word <laughs> on the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it very nicely. Um, everybody else can mind their own business. <laughs> So um, I learned that really quickly. Um, also in Ghent, I mean, there's there's like there's just the, the normal things of life change a little bit. How you how you deal with money, how you deal with um, uh, payments of things. I mean, I, it's it's all very very different, and you don't really know how. Like for example, how to set up an apartment, like to get an apartment, or like just to rent something, and how to like deal with people on the phone like I before Paris I was deathly afraid to call people on the phone now I love it like I am constantly calling people at, like for no reason just because I really enjoy it uh, when you have to do something in a foreign language firstly on the phone because that's the only way you can make things work in in France then doing it in English is like a luxury actually so those are some like some little things I mean dealing with people like restaurants for example learning that I, I mean when I'm in the U.S. I usually eat with one fork and I just you know like you know how we do but you know in 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 Europe it's with fork and knife all the time you know and learning how to do that was something strange for me I didn't I never had that experience before. May sound really strange to your listeners, but um, yeah, those are some some a few things that I could uh, could talk about. And what is it like then? Because you obviously still have ties in the states. Like you're in the states right now, and you have a performing group that's still out of the states. So. What is it like, maybe like pre-pandemic, because I'm sure things have been a little bit different in the last year and a half, but what is it like balancing being in different places and producing music in different places? Yeah, um, I mean, I have to work really far ahead in, in, in time just so that I don't um, over plan myself or that I give myself a little bit of downtime. Like, for example, I did a performance this past Monday. Um, it's now Saturday. For everyone listening, uh, <laughs> this past Monday, and I flew in the day before, so I was traveling for twenty three hours, and then I gave a performance on Monday, and I told myself, "Why did I do this? Why did I schedule this? I'm exhausted." I, and of course, the 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 performance is at seven thirty at night here in Pennsylvania time, and that's my one thirty in the morning. Like, so I was. I was exhausted, but you make it work. I mean, it, it was very fun, and I, I slept in, of course, but, you know, I think, like, knowing your limits has become really important to me and knowing what I'm able to do and not just jumping on any opportunity saying, yes, 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 let's do it, because that's a little bit the the thing that we're, we're taught to do. Like, you don't say no to a, an opportunity, but you kind of... I, I think I've grown up enough to know okay, if, if I do that, then I need to come back home and have, you know, three days. I need to have a nice weekend. 
I have to have a nice, you know, three days because for musicians, weekends are working moments usually. So give me like a good Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to rest, to practice for the next thing. And then I go from there. Um, I think I've just learned really that time management is really important. And so when I uh, set things up in the U.S., I'm looking, you know, at least six months or more ahead of time to make sure that I'm I'm okay. Um for example, now that things are kind of um, going a little bit better, um, especially in Europe, um, all of our performances that were canceled are getting rescheduled now for this moment. So in, uh, in a couple of weeks, I will have my quartet come to, to Ghent to work on a project for the, um, for the Flemish TV and radio, and then we fly directly from from Belgium to Israel for this tour that's been postponed and canceled and postponed for this is like its fourth time so we're going directly going to Israel and then I come home because I was very adamant about it I come home for a couple days and then I go to home being Belgium for everyone listening. And then I fly to Cyprus for another festival of new music um, for five days. Then we fly directly together to Switzerland for another tour, um, which will be four or five days. And then I fly home and I have three days to recover. And then I have a, a performance weekend um, uh, as a concerto soloist. So... The, this kind of thing, it's, I mean, I, I live for it, this kind of, you know, dynamic kind of thing, but you have to, I have to know that I need to have some downtime and some time to myself, and I, I, it's really important, or, you know, I know that burnout is, is gonna happen if I, if I just keep going as an energizer bunny for forever, and I could do it, but I know that it, it would, it, it wouldn't become enjoyable, and, and, like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really, happy that I'm, I love what I do and that I'm passionate about it and that I give all to what I'm doing and instead of, oh, you know, okay, it's just routine, it's just whatever, okay, I'm going to perform, whatever, I mean, it's fine. But I think that for me, it was really, it's important to know what I'm capable of and to plan ahead of time for it. Right. Now, are you doing all of the planning yourself for all of these groups, or is it kind of a collaborative between the different members? And like, how are you going about getting all of these great tours? Yeah, so most of it is done by us. So we, we, I mean, for example, the Israeli that's in our, our quartet, Noah Mick, she, um, she planned the tour in Israel. And I planned the the thing in Belgium, so we kind of take over our our zones of comfortability. And um, with the EBM, the the quartet, the Ensemble du Bout du Monde, is we're gonna go, come to the U.S. in a, in a few years, maybe in the next year, we'll see. Um, and then I will take over that. If we're in Italy or in France, where one is based right now, one of the Italians in the quartet, then they take over a little bit more of the sharing of that, that thing. And it's also from an administrative point of view as well that um, I'll take over everything for Belgium and the U.S. just because I'm comfortable with that and I know. Um, and so I... 
yeah. Um, otherwise, for things that I'm planning myself, it's all on me most of the time. I do have an agent. Um, my quartet has an agent as well. But they're looking at very particular things. And when they do find something for us, then they handle everything. And, you know, we have the kind of star-studded treatment then that we don't have to deal with anything. But I've gotten really, really good at reading contracts and, and negotiating and being a kind of what I like to say is a musical entrepreneur, um, which only kind of happens and through experience of failing a lot, actually, and kind of figuring out what worked and didn't work and how how I could navigate the thing. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It makes, makes my day really dynamic when, okay, I'm going to practice for, I'm going to warm up for an hour and then I'm going to practice my repertoire for XYZ gigs. And then I'm going to... Um, uh, give calls to these foundations and these cultural centers and and working out this gig there and and whatnot and that makes it really really nice and then also you know oh I have to I have to plan in that I need to call the U.S. at a good time so that it, it makes my life really dynamic and also gives a lot of um, variety in it and that 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 I like a lot so a very long-winded answer for your question though but it makes sense. And I, I think it's good to hear kind of that, that, um, like inside knowledge as someone who doesn't do all of that, like what has to go into it. Now, are you looking at possibly becoming a Belgian citizen? I am. So I have permanent residence there. Um, my, my boyfriend and I, we are, we are partnered legally partnered and so it gives me five years um to um like permanent resident status so i was on a student visa before because i'm doing my phd in extended saxophone techniques so i had a student visa but we were just over it um over getting it renewed every year and then it's a hassle for this that, that the other thing so we planned on on getting uh, it's called a legal status called Samenwohnen, which means living together but it's basically that we're legally partnered we had planned on it on doing it anyway and so until we get married which may happen in the future um then uh or i so basically if we get married then i can go for belgian citizenship right away or i wait five years and then I can apply uh, myself uh, to become Belgian. So that's in the cards, yes, because it would make uh, just to travel a little bit easier. Um, there's really no difference now. When I was on a student visa, it was a little bit harder to prove and a little bit more difficult to work. But I have um, unlimited working uh, capabilities, both in the U.S. and in Europe, which are mainly my zones of working now so makes it a lot easier and was it difficult to become legally partnered it's my understanding um at least in the u.s to get married to someone who's like on a green card i believe it is like there's lots of hoops to jump through to make sure that it's like actually legal so was that difficult for you um in theory, it's not really that difficult, but the U.S. makes it a little bit more difficult for me, actually. Um, so we had decided to do this, like, at the start of the pandemic. So 
what I needed to do was to go to the U.S. Embassy in Brussels and prove my civil status in the U.S. And I could only do that under, under oath and very strict law and things. And they just canceled all appointments for indefinitely. And so I needed to, I said, okay, well, I'll wait, you know, three months. It's fine. You know, what, what's three months? That's nothing. Well, three months turns into forever with a pandemic and everything's locked down and they keep canceling my appointments that I, that I kept making. And so I finally, um, um, I called up the city of Ghent and I said, look, we want to do this procedure. It takes literally 15 minutes for it to, to, to happen. We want to do this procedure, but I'm an American and I need my, I, I need them to get this paper to you. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll contact them. So once they contacted them, it would, I had an appointment for the next day at the, at the embassy and it was all fine. I mean, it, I was like, oh my gosh, I should have just done this from the beginning because I was worried because my student visa was expiring and I was like, oh my gosh, are they going to ship me back to the US? And what am I doing? Oh, uh, it, you know, I was really worried. So, um, no, it, it really worked out fine, but it was just a lot of, you know, extra work and extra stress for no reason. Because, you know, in Belgium, everything you can... It, my boyfriend, he, he printed out this paper from his cell phone. I mean, he could just take it. It, it. it was so easy for him. But I said, yeah, well, there's no paper unless you're, like, um, married in the U.S. I mean, then, then you have this, this, you know, kind of status. I said, we don't have a status called single, you know, and I don't have a paper about it. So I just signed this, this document at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. And then... It, it worked out very easily. We made an appointment. We went in. They looked at our paperwork and everything was fine. And, you know, right then and there, we were legally partnered. So it was very easy, very easy. And to get married, um, since we're already legally uh, partnered, it, it'll be a very smooth uh, thing for us. That's, that's great to hear um, <laughs> how all of that happens. Now, what is it like, um, you know, because early on you mentioned how much of a supporter your mom is, and obviously she's still in Pennsylvania. So what has it been like being time zones apart from her? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a very cute question because I'm really close with my mom. And, you know, even while I'm in Europe, we talk um, multiple times per week and if we don't text in one day that's very strange so we'll be we'll be contacting each other or we send pictures I have a lovely cat and my mom is a cat lady so you know we send pictures back and forth of our cats and things like this but um I definitely think that my mom didn't think that Europe was going to be forever and um when she first shipped me off to Paris so um it, it was hard for her at the beginning because, you know, I'm her only son and, you know, she loves me to death and she wants me close and, you know, the typical things that, you know, parents want for sure for their kids. Um, but she was happy for me that I was following my dreams and, you know, that I was doing exactly what I wanted. So, um, yeah, it was hard at the beginning, but... Um, my mom definitely before pre-pandemic would come to Europe maybe twice or three times per year to see me. And then I'm, I always come back and I try to, 
always see my mom if I'm in the U.S. for a little bit. Um, but actually, from, from the pandemic point of view, it was very, very hard. I mean, I didn't see my mom for a really long time. It was a year and a half, um, a little bit over a year and a half that I didn't see my mom. And I came back to the U.S. to, uh, to Arizona to finish a CD with my uh, Dua Entre Nous with Jackie Glazier in, in Arizona. And I said, Mom, why don't you just come and stay with me while I'm there? We'll get an Airbnb and we'll make it really nice. And I have family out there in Arizona as well. Let's let's go. And she jumped on the, the idea. And um, we, you know, seeing her for that first time, I... I like broke down in the airport. I was like, oh my God, my mom's here. And like, you know, so much time has passed since I saw her. So I, and since I get, could give her a hug and, you know, it was at that moment that I said, like, never again, do we make this happen? Like, uh, uh, do, do we let this happen? Like, even if something happens, we have to see each other. And of course, you know, FaceTime is lovely and whatnot, but, um, it's, it's something different to, you know, see your mom and, and give her a big hug and, you know, hear her say that she loves you and you know it's it's in person so um seeing her that time it was really great and now we've decided like okay anytime i'm in the u.s which next year will be quite a lot um i'm in january february eight uh may and june so far i'll be in the u.s she's like i'm gonna come see you so <laughs> so um she's coming to see me in in kansas city in in february and then she'll come out to arizona in may and then i'll be here in june so yeah but my but pre-pandemic for sure my mom came a lot to europe and she's used that as an opportunity to kind of explore the world that she never kind of got to see um before so um, she loves it and we have a really close relationship and we don't necessarily feel that we we've lost anything that I'm not necessarily here in central Pennsylvania for her to come with you know it's it's funny because she says that you know my, with my other cousins that they don't see or they don't talk to their parents as much as I talk to my mom so um, she uses that as a kind of thing to get through the day a little bit so we're very close very close that's really great and so your mom was really supportive when you were younger, getting you into all of the music thing. So I wanted to know, is she at all musical as well or artistic in any way? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I mean, my mom sings a little bit, but um, she's, not, uh, she's not super musically inclined. Um, she, is a, she was a math teacher. She's a retired math teacher now. Um, but she was, she just really wanted me to, to do what I wanted to do. And I, I, she really fostered that as a kid because it could be the other way. I mean, she could have said, oh, he's, he's, he's good at singing. He's good at uh, what he likes to do, but you know, we're not going to enroll him in lessons or things like this, but she's been super supportive, but nobody in my family is really super musical at all. I mean, they have a love of music, but it's not that I came from a family of musicians at all. No. Yeah. And now you mentioned that one of your big goals was to release a solo CD and you have done that now. So what is the next big goal? Do you have one? <laughs> so um, I have a couple of short term things that are happening. Um, I'm going to record for another CD. I'm going to record a couple more CDs, but not full length albums. Um, 
or with my duo since I released also this 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 year in April uh, a duo CD called Fresh Ink with with duo entre nous. So it was a lot in one little time time frame to do. So I have um, I want to perform more. I want to work with composers a lot more. I want to expand the kind of uh, limits of what's possible on the saxophone and showcase that. And um, I think my solo album was just you know. It was it because a solo album you're kind of like uh, proving to the world what you're capable of doing, and since I'm I I think I've done that I I think I've done that <laughs> pretty well, at least in my opinion I want to I want to push the boundary now and and say I kind of like um, throw out the the way of doing things before, and and say okay let let's go even further let's let's push push, push, push. And so, um, I have a couple things in the, in the works that are going. Um, my big, big goal though for the next year is to finish my PhD and to write the dissertation and be done with it and get it out there because my dissertation is on, um, saxophone without mouthpiece techniques. And I've kind of made, uh, put myself in this, this, uh, Happily so, I must say. I put myself in this position of being the expert on, on this, these techniques, and I would like to get them out there for other people to, to explore and to enjoy. So um, that's, that's one of the things that I want to do this next year or in next year and a half. We'll see. <laughs> but it, I definitely don't want to put it on the back burner at all. And so it's, it's time for that to be done. But uh, personally, um, my boyfriend and I, we are looking to purchase a house and a bigger house than we have right now. And, you know, I that I want to keep being happy and make, doing the things that make me enjoy life and do it together with the people I love. And yeah, so that's, you know, that's the big dream for forever, I think. That's great. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? I mean, I, de I definitely want to maybe, maybe it's a little bit of a, a downer moment, but um, I think like what's important to know is that it's not always like sunshine and roses and rainbows and things like this. And that, you know, it's important to know that like, yes, maybe there is sunshine after all of the depressing things and whatnot, but when uh, there, there's also been some hardships in my life and, you know, we, we kind of um, put those things aside sometimes and, and don't talk about them necessarily because the good things want to, you want to outweigh them. But I think it's important to also give a space to um, the things that are not necessarily so bright and um, lo lovely and whatnot. So, I mean, before I came out, I was I was in a bit of a depression and a not a bit a lot of a depression, and I really had to struggle to to find again who I was. And music, as I said earlier, really um, was it, my music was affected, and I didn't didn't necessarily think that I was the the person that I wanted to be on stage. And you know, you come from a you know, central Pennsylvania. Well, I came from a, a uh, from central Pennsylvania, and it's a very conservative area, and very, you know, you have these kind of things on your shoulders, and before you 
make that big leap to yourself you have i i was weighing all of these things and you know at the end of the day it was just so heavy of a pressure and you you medicate yourself in other ways you hurt yourself in ways that you know if i could take it back i would and i would just do something different but um yeah it's there there's i think like what i want to want to say by saying this is that you know be unapologetically you all the time and make sure that you're you know you treat yourself right and you do good by you first and think of everyone else maybe after you make yourself you know you find a good place for yourself and i think that's what i did and um i kind of overcame the the that adversity so I don't know. I, I'm sorry to end things a little bit on, on a little bit of a, a low note, but uh, it all ended up okay for me. So that's that's good. Yeah, and it and it's a good reality check, and and you threw in some good advices there as well. Now at the end, with all of my guests, I do ask a random question that's a little bit different from what we've been talking about. Um, I am going okay. to stick with music though, and I would like to know what music is your guilty pleasure. Oh, oh, this is, <laughs> I, 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 I have gotten into recently and it's a little bit awful, a little bit of K-pop, <laughs> I'm totally honest. I, I really jam out to this at the gym or like if I am getting myself psyched up to go somewhere, I will listen to K-pop nonstop. Um, also, I mean, you know, my boyfriend also really loves it and he got me into it. And now it's 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 totally a guilty pleasure. I mean, I listen to Blackpink. I listen to BTS. I mean, it's <laughs> it's very strange, but it, it works for me. I, I really like it. and I try so hard to to like mouth the words or to sing along. And I can't. I can't at all. I get the English things sometimes, but it's uh, it's. I, I really jam out to it. All right, that brings this episode to a close. For direct access to all of what DP is doing, his website will be in the description. So that will bring you to his CD, different works that he's commissioned, and so much more good information along with all of his other social media and his website is in English or in French, of course. And also his Instagram will be in the description as well. And of course, all of the podcast information is there as well. If you would like to connect with us, our website will bring you to our Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn website. So we'd love to connect with you there. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, we always accept donations. So that information is there as well. And if you'd like to email me and become a guest, I'm always looking for new people. And I love hearing different stories and getting so many different voices on this podcast. So feel free to reach out for me. Thank you so much, DP, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week. Bye. Thanks so much. Ciao for now. Thank you.